Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks very much for having a listen to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, Matt Devitt here with Kieran Murphy. Hey, on. And way more excitingly, Ken Hurley. Hey, on. How you doing? Hey. Oh, Kieran. Ken's back from holidays. How's everyone? Too much um, dressing room banter there uh, yeah. in, the, uh, in the guise of Kieran Murphy. You couldn't chance. hear the towel flap, but uh, believe me, it just happened. Ken, you're in Play Lingles in Gran Canary. Well, I was there one for one. Uh, you were in Play Lingles. Ninety-minute period, yeah. In uh, in Gran Canaria, did you have a good time? Mostly, were you in the English Centre or the Irish Centre? Uh, it was the English Centre. Yeah, I didn't realise I had an Irish Centre. Well, they did when I was just finished my leaving, sir. Ken, just haven't got my results. Uh, well, <laughs> many years ago. Well, I've got a, a sort of um, I don't know what it's called a hippodrome on, and they it's it's like a kind of laid out in the style of a of a Greek or Roman arena. Uh, with a semicircle, semicircle of steps down to uh, sort of a pit, mm. at the bottom of which you find Lineker's Bar. Oh, Lineker's Bar, wow. And uh, a competing establishment called Scandic, uh, right next to it, and and a couple of other places. So um, I didn't actually go into Lineker's Bar. I probably should have, just from the you know from a professional point of view. Mm. Um, is, 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 is this is it owned by Gary Lineker? I think it's owned by his uh, brother. All right, okay. He's, his brother has a chain of of, uh, of such establishments in such locations around the world. Was there any, uh, around around Europe? How was the phone party? Um, uh, completely stupid. Why do I don't understand? Why do people do that? Was there well, a phone party? There was, yeah. <laughs> that was just a gag there. <laughs> you went, went right ahead and answered the question. Anyway. Well, I would say, Ken, that you're just. Yeah, I would say that you're just a bit more sensitive to the, the phone party because you realise that your hair gets quite... I mean, I, I would say the humidity was enough to get the hair quite frizzy anyway. Yeah. And then you go, start walking into a foam party. I mean, you don't even know what products are in that foam. It's fr- You've been to 10, 12 foam parties, haven't you? I was at one last night, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were at the, um, Bank Holiday Monday. Bank Holiday Monday, Round foam party, yeah. Get out there. 
I mean, it's well. I mean, it's just it's just it's part of my life. I it's don't really understand the, the attraction of it. I mean, is it literally just all all about everybody getting really wet and slippery? Oh yeah, it's sexy. <laughs> You've hit it on the nail on the head there, Ken. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's about people getting all wet and slippery, Ken. I mean, it can't be more obvious but, than that. But there is that that sort of fairy liquid chemical aftertaste to everything mm. uh, after after being in there. So I don't really I don't really understand the attraction myself. On, but it could be that I'm slightly older <laughs> than the core uh, audience for this type of entertainment. Well, it's great to have you back, Ken. And it is great to be able to bring you this show today now that the internet has been repaired after being brought to its knees by this scandal. He's a better player than Cooper, in my opinion. He's one of the greatest I've ever seen. In my opinion, Cooper's a two-trick pony. You can't, you can't say he's a two-trick pony. <laughs> In my opinion, Cooper's a two-trick pony. James O'Donnell is different, folks. He's just totally different. <laughs> 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 Cooper's a two-trick pony. Don't you say it's all Ireland uh, winning time and he goes out and, and wins them. For 12 years. Yeah. I, I, want to, I want to remove myself from that. <laughs> all right. And the reaction to Martin McHugh's suggestion that Colin Cooper may not be all he's cracked up to be uh, was, was Not quite even that, it's just that James slightly could be slightly better See, than See, I think that Cooper has got to a point now and has reached a status in Irish sport where he's... Untouchable, uh, but I should state I don't actually agree that James O'Donoghue is a better player than Cullum Cooper just yet. He maybe he will be, but that would put him down as one of the greatest players ever. But I do think I do find it interesting that there's not even a chance to debate these things, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later on. Was the, Brian O'Driscoll, for example, in his last season? I'm going to say it, Brian O'Driscoll wasn't great in his last season. I mean, he missed a lot mm. of tackles. He, he he had some good moments, but he was he was poor on occasion, and yet nobody you could, shut your mouth. No, he'd given us so much that nobody could really say that. Uh, yeah. there was. It wasn't as though people totally ignored it, but it was always couched in euphemisms. Yeah, let's so let's forth. hope he just gets through the end of this season without making a Stephen Gerrard style and it's horrific ju- error. It's not just down to achievement; it's it's about a certain type of popularity, I think, because Robbie Keane should also be immune from criticism, certainly for the Irish team, given how many goals he scored, and yet he's never quite reached that elevated status. I think he might actually be getting there. Really? Yeah. Very late in the day. Yeah, but you know, I mean, since. All Still, took, nobody has come along who's better yeah. than him. You know, he, he's beginning to look better with each passing game. With with, with every missed Shane Long chance, <laughs> Robbie Keane's uh, status in Irish sport grows and grows. But do you take my point that some people just get to a point where it's very hard to criticise yeah. them? Or it certainly, everyone seems to worry about the reaction if these people are criticised. Yeah, and I think it's, I think, um, really, it's, it's got more to do with the, the idea that... Uh, any criticism is seen as a huge criticism yeah. when it's actually all you're trying to do is actually just raise a point about the player, you know. And when when it, when they get to that stage in their career where n- there's no such thing as a reasoned debate, then I think that's that's probably that's great news for them. <laughs> it's probably not great news for people actually trying to dissect what makes them great and what makes them maybe not so great. I think the problem there is describing one of the great players in Gaelic football as a two-trick pony. Yeah. That's, that, that's your problem that right there. there yeah. I mean, it's it, the problem is if you if you say that about him, then what is it, you know, what's everybody else, you know? Um, so, uh, I think that that might be where be he... a one-trick pony. I did see, I think it was Wexford, Ben Brosnan said, if, if Gooch is a two-trick pony, this is what I am. And it seemed to be an upside-down Possibly dead horse, <laughs> maybe asleep. I don't know. But uh, th- uh, Brosnan's point was <laughs> Cooper's probably the best. Horses with like all four of their legs in the air are probably dead, aren't they? Yeah, I don't want to even. They sleep standing up, of course. So 
Carl Mannion and Andrew McLaughlin will be in in a little while. Talk about that and also James Horan's reaction to the pre-match barbs by the Cork camp. Also going to look ahead a little bit to the second set of All-Ireland quarterfinals coming up next weekend. And the US PGA is one of the other big sporting events. Starts on Thursday in Valhalla. Lots of talking points ahead of this one. Rory McIlroy back to world number one and going for three huge tournament victories in a row. Tiger's back injury. As we speak, he hasn't given up hope but it uh, doesn't look like well, if he is there he's certainly not going to be fully fit and more importantly or more interestingly I think is Dustin Johnson who won't be there because of apparently a self-imposed exile this is a story that broke late last week and has developed golf.com the Sports Illustrated golf website carried a report on Friday that uh, as opposed to simply walking away to deal with personal issues he was actually serving a suspension for violating the PGA's drug policy they said it was a third strike for Johnson who they claim has had a couple of other drugs tests, uh, positive drugs tests in the past. And the PGA Tour say, well, this is actually what they said. They didn't directly deal with some of those specifics, but they said, with regard to media reports that Dustin Johnson has been suspended by the PGA Tour, this is to clarify that Mr. Johnson has taken a voluntary leave of absence and is not under a suspension from the PGA Tour. But they didn't comment one way and the other on the truth or otherwise of some of the rest of the claims in that. And he's, and uh, I mean, the PGA disciplinary uh, situation is basically they don't say anything about anyone who may or may not be suspended. So, it, it what you're into there is an argument over semantics. Uh, the fact of the matter is he it could be a voluntary absence because he said, right, okay, you've suspended me for six months. Okay, I'll just walk away and I'll say I'm walking away and that's it. Mm. So the statement doesn't actually add anything to the debate, even though you might think on first reading that it clears it up. It actually just makes it more confusing. Which in itself, I think, does add something to the, the, the debate. It adds the, the certainty that the USPGA aren't going to um, aren't going to be forthcoming on these matters yeah. and haven't been in the past and seem unbelievably afraid of of going after this sort of thing. And I know we're talking here in this case about certainly if the reports to be believed, recreational drugs, but even in terms of performance enhancing drugs, it's something that's come up over the last number of years. And of course, you're going to get the, the argument that, well, it's golf, how much benefit can you get from, from, from drugs? And certainly the correlation wouldn't be as strong as it might be in running or cycling or even football, but it still helps. Doesn't matter, you own. certainly see the guys it's doing power, the, you know. You know yeah, and the, the guys, the, there's so many of them are, are in the gym all the time. Yeah. Trying to, they're not doing that for the good of their health, you know. They're doing it to improve their golf game. I mean, yeah, the whole thing is kind of ridiculous, really. I mean, I think you know, I bet Ben Johnson wished he could have just, you know, what? There's something about this gold medal. I don't really, I, you know, you take you you take it. I'm just gonna just step away here. Talk to me in two years. You're my guy, Carl. Yeah, you're my guy. Yeah, Carl, that's yours. Give me a call in 1990. We'll chat then. We'll get to that later on. Andrew McLaughlin and Carl Mannion, thanks for being with us today. Hey, you're welcome. Kieran here has a theory about GA managers and how oversensitive they are. Kieran. Uh, yeah, well, we've got Paul Grimley uh, all summer long uh, not talking to the media because they pointed out the fact that they had a scrap in a pre-match parade, which everyone watching could see anyway. Uh, and now there is now James Horan is atta- attacking, well, attacking Brian Cuthbert and saying that Cuthbert had uh, impugned the integrity and good name of two of his players for saying that they fouled a couple of times yeah. again. I think it was Roland McCarthy, the selector, actually named the names. Yeah. And that seemed to be the part that annoyed him. But it was the Cork, more than the Cork, the Cork ma- management team. The yeah. Cork management team. Um, and I just, I can't understand it, how you could possibly say that that's taking someone's good name. I mean, it's a ridiculous uh, overreaction by Horan as far as I'm concerned. I don't know how... Yeah, it possibly is a bit of an overreaction, but it's, it's good to see, like, people getting annoyed and saying it in the media, creating a bit of a buzz, mm. a bit of a rivalry about games like this. Next time Cork play Mayo, surely Cork are going to have massive motivation considering what James Horan said after the game. So uh, when, when it was said in the, week, in the week leading up to the game, I was like, you know, that's, that's good to see. That's going to be a bit of a niggle now on Sunday in the game. And it turned out that way, like Cork and Mayo were in each other's faces a lot. 
There's a lot of niggle off the ball. You saw a couple of elbows been thrown. First half, Kevin uh, McLaughlin got a nice one off on Cadigan. And it, it added to the game. Like, And I think it needs to be done a bit more in GA. Players need to come out a bit more, maybe. Like this, you see in other sports when there you have brash players talking about mm. other players. Conor McGregor style, effectively, yeah. is what we're talking yeah. about here. Richard Sherman, Michael Crabtree, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Just like calling people out, like it just it adds to it. Like, and I think uh, the, way, the way the game is going, like more and more, it, it should be done. Like, just kind of creates a bit of buzz. Okay, about so it. Carl Mannion has called for the GA to become the WWE. Andrew, your own <laughs> thoughts on uh, particularly on Horan's post-match stuff? Is he within his rights to defend his players? There, I, I do take Kieran's point that. It's not as though the Cork management team, I mean, they just said that the players fell, uh, fell cleverly. It's hardly, I wouldn't have thought it's impugning their reputation too much, but what do you think? No, they did love that because it galvanises the team, you know, and especially um, managers love that because that galvanises, when you, the team are together like that, there's something to fight against and it's it's easy. And I suppose it's up, uh, Armagh love it because it's kind of a siege mentality and your backs are to the wall and everyone's against us. And it helps them, you know, to motivate the team to, to get a performance out of them. And I think they love that because it's just one extra team to help a bit of spice because sometimes in championship things even though matches are really important sometimes you can go a little bit flat because especially when you have a, a seasoned team because you're so used to kind of getting up for championship matches and okay yeah it's a really important match but yeah we've done it before and this one little team to add a little bit of spice and it could be something trivial like that but all of a sudden then everyone's talking about it it's in your mind and all of a sudden you've got a point to prove to whether it's the press or whether it's to a particular manager or a particular person on that team uh, I think it's great I love to see it and against Mayo there was I love, I love that bit of bite in it um, I think in general it was let uh, run uh, pretty okay like I mean nothing that happened was, was fairly trivial you know even though in Cadigan he was just trying to get that player off him you know there was no malice in it um, I love to see it it's an interesting point you make actually because Horan is there for four years they've gotten to this stage the Iron semi-final for the, the last this is the fourth year in a row I was I was kind of thinking that this was a situation whereby he hopped on it straight away because he thought right this is a thing that's different to the build up that we've had for the last three years uh, I, I took a look actually at the team that Mayo lined out with against Kerry in the 2011 Iron semi-final of the 19 players that played that day, 15 of them were playing again on on Sunday. It's the same team listening to the same manager. So it, I, I think that, that that was a big thing uh, from Horan's point of view, that this is actually, it's just something new for me to be saying to, to, the, to this group of players. Yeah, I think he's been kind of saying that all year though as well, that he thought last year they picked too early uh, and that he's trying to be changing things up in their training this year. And that probably carries over into the way he's speaking to them and the way he's speaking about them in the media. And uh, something new, it might make give them the extra edge, might just do something different for them in the next ga- couple of games and to see them over the line because they probably need to do something different uh, compared to the last couple of years this year to, to, see if they, uh, to see if they can get over the line. And in fairness, he's done that in his training, so he said, uh, and he has in as well in his personnel, the way he's moved in, no shame to the far line to give that far line a new dimension. Well, their preparation has been key so far. As in like, he couldn't ask for anything better, the way the matches have been panning out for him, just barely getting over the line in Connacht, you know, and obviously now in the last match, it was, it was a real test for him. So he's going to be delighted with that. You know, winning games by 10, 12 points like Dublin are isn't an advantage, it's a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah. I, d- d- just going back to the management thing for one second, just because I, th- I think you were in a situation with Kildare where McGinney, and th- this is the thing with Warren, I, th- I think that Mayo have been doing everything right for so long that, you know, if, if there were things where I said, well, well, I just got that blatantly wrong last year, it's easy enough to change it. You know, just, mm-hmm. okay, we'll do something different this year. If, like Mayo, you're actually getting pretty much everything you can out of yourself as a manager, out of your out of your squad of players, you know, then then it gets really difficult. You know, like, what exactly can you do to change? 
And, you know, may, maybe it's then you're looking at external factors, like, say, maybe bringing Gavin Duffy in or, you know, uh, hopping on something like this. Maybe is, is that kind of the motivation? You know, it, it, the longer a manager is in a job, do, is, do, do stuff like that become more and more important? Yeah, especially in Gaelic football, I think, because if you look at other sports, the manager tends to be a manager. He's not a coach. And Gaelic football, I find that the manager is a coach. He's directly involved with the selectors. He's directly involved with the backroom staff, organising everything. That's not really good. It's, it doesn't lead to longevity in a career, I think. I mean, f- because you get too close to players. It's a selector's job, I feel, to be close to players. It's his job to get to know if this lad has something going on in his personal life, how can I look after him if he needs time off for family reasons? I think it's the manager's job to step back and have his selectors come to him and say, look, this is the problem, X, Y, and Z here, he needs a bit of space, and he makes the call. Because if you get too close to players, and like, I mean, if, if you're having a beer with them, or if you go on a pre-season holiday training, or whatever it is, um, but then it's very hard to drop that player and you get favourites because your person, you're human and you've, oh, you like that person. I know he'll, he's, a, he's a warrior and he'll go to battle for me, but he may not be the key person for that position. And I find that a selector, that's his job. A manager can be cold then and outside looking at the team. Okay, look, this is the system I'm playing. This is the best 15. These are the best five, six subs I'm going to bring in if X, Y, and Z happens. And that's the better way to go about it. But yeah, in James Horn's situation, I think, yeah, he's going to jump on that like that because he's been in the job so long. It's been the same speeches. Hopefully he has a fresh voice in the dressing room talking. Um, but like them lads have been in the situation now where they've come up short uh, on a few occasions. Like They're still having a brilliant career and what they're getting out of the panel. And like you're saying, it's been the same panel and that's a little bit worrying as well because you'd, you'd think over a space of uh, four or five years that there's going to be other people playing well in the county that could come in and add something to it. Uh, if you have the same players in a panel, well, when, when things aren't going well and you look to the bench, well, the same players are there and the other teams have them noted. Um, like, I mean, at the weekend, Monaghan brought in Chris McGuinness and I, I don't think Kildare knew much about him and he was phenomenal. I think he was unbelievable. Far better than Conor McManus or Kieran Hughes put together. Yeah. That seems to be the key point, whatever about motivation. And I do take take the point that maybe it can work sometimes, but it's really about the players you're developing. And as you said, Carl, uh, they've brought in, I mean, they've changed up Aidan O'Shea and that seems to be working out quite well, but there hasn't been a huge amount besides that. Maybe there are, maybe the players aren't in the county, but you would have thought there might yeah, be. Yeah, well, like they've moved also Colin Boyle into six. Uh, Donald Vaughan has a bit more of a free role. It would have suited him better maybe to have a more of a free role to put him into midfield the last day. So he has changed up a few little things. And, and in fairness, I think he has the best players on that panel in the last four or five years in Mayo uh, I don't think there has been much many more in the club football in Mayo putting their hands up saying I should be on that team whatever about being on the panel he has changed up the panel obviously so I think he's changed what he has slightly uh, in trying to get the results that they want but I don't see there has been any major uh, change outside of the panel that he should have been bringing in from what I've seen. Jason Ryan, interestingly, tried something similar to Cuthbert and his team ahead of the Monaghan game um, when he made the point that Conor McManus is somebody who gets given freeze fairly easily. And Malaga O'Rourke took a different approach and say anything. I don't think he said anything after the game. He certainly no. didn't say anything back before the game, just got on with it. I don't know if there's a right and wrong approach or if it's just a, it depends where a manager is with a set of players at a certain time. Yeah, well, I suppose... Looking back on it, I'd say Jason probably felt he was right because looking at some of the frees that Conor McManus did win, or particularly the one to equalise, yeah, 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 I think it was they were very soft. Like um, like Gaelic football is a contact sport, and it, it just frustrates me so much when you see refs giving soft frees. I mean, it, when you compare, and we're talking to, to the right man about this because <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Brogan. a particularly famous Bernard Brogan free given a few years back. Yeah, well, you say free, I, I know, but, <laughs> fairness, but in fairness to Bernard, like he didn't look for it, like he didn't go down. Um, but the same man was involved in a lot of controversial decisions in the weekend. Man from there as well in the in the middle so I mean I, I don't think he does himself any favours but 
Look, I mean, it's a contact sport. Hurling seems to have the, uh, the right balance, I feel. You know, they, they let grown men who are doing weights, doing strength and conditioning out their ears, you know, go for a ball like they're, they're trying to win it. And it might be slightly uh, a foul here and there, but not that's totally impairing another player. And let them go for it, you know. And the game flows far better. I think spectators love it. I think if, if you're showing two clips of a Gaelic football match and a Hurling match to someone outside of Ireland... Uh, didn't know the sport did prefer hurling and not because oh it's a small ball and it travels faster because you have boys hopping off each other you know, and everyone loves to see the big hit and I can't remember a massive hit Andy Mallon gave a great one now on the weekend and it was left flow but that's one of the only ones I've seen in a while Carl? Yeah the one thing is though there is obviously the, the difference between hurling and football in the speed of the ball and the speed of the game there's more there's more opportunity for contact in Gaelic football because the ball is bigger the ball moves slower uh, and players look to go around the men and beat the men more often. And that doesn't the, happen though. The contact doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, but, but it the, doesn't hurling. Yeah, uh, but that's the reason it gets it gets refereed harder is because there is that more contact. They have to see. They have to watch it a lot closer, and they're obviously analysing it themselves uh, in their meetings as well. And they're seeing all these little things. The thing about Conor Manis is Conor Manis is one of the best players in the country to go to man though and to go by a man. So he's getting tackled more than a lot of other players who aren't looking to go by the man. For like James O'Donoghue who does it as well, he's not the one getting the contact moment though he's going to get it soon but Conor Manis has been kind of flagged up by a lot of teams now in the last couple of years because he is so good at that and he does get harder tackles and I think at times he's getting little tugs that a referee mightn't see but if he goes down to win the free to, 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 when he gets the tug he's going to get his free and sometimes if he doesn't go down he's not going to get a free when it is a tug of the jersey and it should be a free yeah, no, in some ways that's my issue with Kildare is that they don't win enough frees and I think they're too honest If I'm, and I, you that's, see it in training honesty, do you know right? what I mean and really? They, they stay going because there might be a chance of a, a goal or a shot when they they should go down and they get the free. But I don't know. It's just like one thing that frustrates frustrates me watching uh, some of the punditry is now they're starting to go like soccer. Well, there was contact. I mean, and that 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 torments me when I hear that saying because I mean it's a contact sport. Um, and I'm not personally against Combat Manis. He's, he was a wonderful footballer, or is. Um, and like we thought, Ollie Lyons did quite well in him on the weekend. But I just think he's not going to complain. And if he's on my team. I want them winning frees. Do you know, it, 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 as a corner forward, because it takes the pressure off you and it gets the key scores. But um, if they're trying to, uh, I think it's something the game should look at. Uh, and it's surprising that the money man, Pat McAnini, like I mean, at the head of it, he used to let games flow uh, a good bit when he was playing, um, but it doesn't seem to be happening when he's over referees. All right, we're talking about people being maybe a bit too sensitive to criticism, possibly. Has the whole country, the whole GA community, been a bit too sensitive to Martin McHugh uh, criticising Cullum Cooper? I know. He called him a two-trick pony, which well, what I uh, we never heard what the two tricks were. By yeah. the way, it, it didn't develop that way. In, in I mean, how many uh, just on like on a slightly unrelated topic? Uh, how many tricks are, is a pony supposed to have? I mean, I would say that <laughs> two, two, if you've got a pony with two tricks, you're probably doing all right. I'm impressed. I've seen a pony. Yeah, that's what that would be my point. But, but we have been talking about this earlier in the show, and I, I I don't know if you get the sense that is Cooper has he got to this point within Irish sport that say Brian O'Driscoll is at and maybe Henry Shefflin, these sort of guys, where they actually can't be criticised. As soon as anything is said, there's no real exploration of it. It's just seen as totally ridiculous, which maybe it is, but I just, I haven't got the sense that there's been any critical analysis of the criticism. Yeah, because basically, what McHugh said it on the Sunday game, and then everyone just basically fell off their chairs. Exactly, yeah. And there was, like, like they, they shushed him, effectively. Like, was, they bullied oh, no, him no, no, into no, no, total no, no. violence. It was the phrase, I suppose, he used, and yeah. made it just a little more laugh, but I think his point was about James O'Donoghue, who's... Uh, skills and his potential uh, uh, development in the future and how good he may uh, size up against Cooper in the future I think he just it was just a misstep I don't yeah. know he meant it the way he came across he did use the phrase it was a funny phrase it's kind of one that's in your mind before you want to show as well so 
it's hard to say. Like I, yeah. I think it was the, his point was more about James O'Donoghue and how good he may be. Well, Des, right, yeah, Des Cal almost lost his mind when he thought he was shocked. Yeah, but I think McStay did that. All right. Well, you said he's right. I think I think he was right. Sometimes they don't discuss enough things on Sunday game for me. I mean, I think. Mark and James O'Neill and Mark and Cooper um, I did Mark Collum at the very start of his career but if you think um, I think that uh, James is has the potential to be a better footballer you can't say he is because you have to achieve all the things that Colin would achieve but if you think about it Colin was in a, a better team a better players at the moment like them lads have improved themselves and, and there, there's some young lads coming through in the Kerry team but the, the lads that he was surrounding himself with I mean if you're Mark and James O'Neill now you can afford to, to double mark him because mm. there isn't the likes of Morris Gerald. Yeah. Declan Sullivan isn't in the form as he was when he was playing. You know, he's done a lot of miles in the clock. Do you know what I mean? You have Sullivan there and the speed merchant. He's not the same now as he was a couple of years ago because he's got a lot of miles in the clock playing with Kerry, playing with uh, Ireland. And uh, I suppose so. He's a lot. He's going to be getting a lot more attention and has been getting a lot more attention. Not enough, obviously, because he's still destroying teams. But I think he was fair to say what he said. Like Colin Cooper is an amazing footballer, and no one's going to take that away from him, and no one can. But if you can, if you think about the amount of all stars he has compared to some other footballers, uh, and I think, uh, Martin, you think he has too many, too many. Well, if you think he, I think Martin alluded to that in some of the game. He kind of said that uh, you don't have to have all stars and all Ireland medals to be a top class footballer. Where some people judge it by that. Where you've played against footballers who had. Uh, have no all-stars and they're uh, extremely hard to mark when someone might be part of a good team and might chip in and deserve it at the same time but seven I think he has seven is yeah, I, I agree with that point about judging people off what they want and actually it comes from Kerry I remember hearing Michael Connell years ago saying that he doesn't judge a player uh, and his his skill level or his quality by the amount of medals he has it's about what he actually does in the pitch and the way he's able to play the game and that's something I would agree with yeah, like so uh, I, I wouldn't. I, w- I would think though that Cooper is still well ahead of uh, O'Donnell. O'Donnell has potential, but it's certainly not at the playmaking level that Cooper's at, and the way he can influence a game. Like he can. He's a strike. He's a finisher. He's a, st- a strike margin in there. He hasn't got the attention yet, but when he gets the attention, he has two or three men around him. I'd like to see then how he good he is then, whether he can make the play the way Cooper has. What sort of footballers would you be talking about that you say maybe don't have the medals and don't have the All Irelands, but actually? Are potentially as good as Colin Cooper. Well, even just take Seamus Moynihan. Like, I, I think he's got two All Stars. I think if I'm, if I'm correct, like, so you'd say like Colin Cooper is two and a half times the player that he is. When you see what he brought to a team, uh, I mean, he's a he's a he's a general. You know, like you remind you of soccer, Catuso or something like that, or Ray Keane for Irish point of view. And I, you know, without players like that in your team, like Colin Cooper wouldn't be allowed. Uh, that's probably your, yeah. That's your classic probably silky forward versus rugged I know he was more than just a rugged defender yeah. but that, I guess that's the same in all sports maybe yeah. people have viewed he three all-stars you know which I always thought is a very very small oh yeah I would have thought it's funny I would have very, very small number. I mean yeah, yeah. like and it, you know it, I was maybe expecting you to name someone from a weaker county but I mean it is actually true that you know the all-stars thing is you can look up a player and think right well this guy's definitely going to have four or five or six all-stars and realise how has he gone through his entire but at the same time you can say that about when you're talking about individual awards, Colin Cooper has never won Player of the Year, you know, and I and that's shocking to a lot of people as well. You know, that's that that's to me, that's an unbelievable statistic. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and that Daryl O'Shea never won a Player of the Year award either. So I mean, it kind of swings around about three, really, I suppose. Yeah, um, the point about where James O'Donoghue is at now, and we're talking about sort of the the pressure that might be on him, or more to the point that the, the way he might be defended. Would you expect? 
it to be a little more difficult for him against Mayo in the semi-final? Yeah, I would think so. But obviously, he's going to have one of the best cornerbacks in Ireland, Mark, on the next day. And Keith Higgins, I don't think they're going to put Chris Barrett on uh, Jenna Dunner, who the way he wasn't able to cope with uh, with the Cork foot four in the last day. Uh, I would think that, yeah, they're going to drop uh, Colin Boyle a little bit as well. Maybe drop him back in. They're going to let Vaughan and Keegan still do their attacking, do their attacking uh, tactic. Uh I, I do think that who has had a bit of a free reign up to now. He has been man-marked uh, by one person. Teams have tried to drop man, men back, but it's teams that aren't that, uh, that, aren't that skilled in that defensive tactic. Uh, like I shot at this, there, there were some clips right on the Sunday game there, and I, you could see it at the Galway game as well, that Gary O'Donnell was trying to drop back in there, but his appreciation of the space and the way the carry forwards were moving was good enough, and he was over and back, and he was going the wrong way on a, on a lot of occasions. So who wasn't getting the cover, uh, sorry, O'Donnell wasn't getting the coverage uh, that he should, he would expect from the rest of his defenders. Like, yeah, O'Donoghue has that ability to get a ball and to beat a man, uh, but the way he bet Donnelly in the last day, I'd be very, very surprised to see that happen against Mayo. You're, you're going to have a covering defender, a covering midfielder back in there to stop that run. Yeah, well, well the legs of a top-class forward, uh, like, when you're giving man-mark jobs, which is basically what I did about most of my career, it's damn his limitation. Do you know what I mean? These are excellent footballers. They're going to get scores. It's a, that's the reality of it. I mean, and you, you can't obviously drop your head when you're marking them in that scenario, but uh, what you're saying is correct. The, 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 I suppose it's an underrated art I think about marking space because some people just get lost in it and it, you really need like I mean we, we had it with Morgan Sullivan used to do a lot for, for when I was man marking he'd he drop in space and you really have to have a, like a, a key uh, understanding of each other's I mean like an unspoken word knowing where you are because mm. I know like I mean a lot of people do it and, you, you, and you'll find it it actually can work in the forwards advantage if he's double teamed because if they don't get on well together the, the two defenders what happens is they'll end up going to both same, the same side which leaves a mountain of space then in the middle and they can just one I think oh, oh I have him he didn't take him and all of a sudden he's through one goes it happens so often you see it you can watch it I mean this, but the top teams like Donegal are very good at it um, and they're very good at marking space as well and they get back and cover in the right areas and you find that the ball like Glenn Ryan for us for me growing up I, I was, it was uh, he was coach in our school he was a teacher and I was playing with him in the senior team as well but watching him he, he was brilliant filling back in space and he's, the ball you saw always find him you wonder why the boy's kicking the ball to him <laughs> <laughs> but it just find, just to find himself in the perfect amount of space and they're always covering the right way but it is an art and it's something probably I would progress a lot under Kieran because he was very good at it himself um, and we worked on a lot of training um, but uh, they, he will be he will be I think Key Higgins is excellent and I think that will yeah. be a great matchup I just on this weekend's games coming the second two quarterfinals uh, we talked about a, a bit about this earlier in the week that Monaghan looked like they were in a in a good place maybe a few weeks back but now not so much and I, I don't necessarily know if you would buy into the idea of tiredness and playing two weeks in a row uh, but when it's uh, you've gone to extra time and then you have to play Dublin maybe it yeah. does become a factor Carl. my big worry for Monaghan is I think it's something you touched on last week when you were discussing about the way the championship uh, games the game changes when you move to Crow Park you saw that their defensive system didn't work as well in Crow Park uh, I think the Donegal defensive system because they're so well drilled in it and they're so skilled in it it will translate there better because they're just perfect at it they know exactly what they're doing I think Monaghan's defensive system was cut out the last day when I went to Crow Park the bigger spaces and that's I think is the big worry for them going into next Sunday rather than uh, next Saturday rather than their tiredness uh, they're going to have to be so well uh, schooled and well drilled this week now on getting making sure they're in the right position at the right time the whole way through the game or else yeah, Dublin are going to blow them away. Uh, I, I'm, I'm worried for Monaghan if I'm honest. Um, and I suppose on, on par looking at both Kildare and Monaghan the last day both of them are going to be under extreme pressure playing Dublin. I just thought it was a key opportunity for Kildare having played them so often that they could have tried uh, and been a little more tactically uh, astute and worked on something for next year. Like, I mean, the reality is they weren't going to beat them 
but they could have learned something for the following season. From I think Monaghan under pressure, like watching the six backs in Monaghan, none, none of them won their own personal battles. Um, I was worried for a lot of them. I thought their half-back line was going to be where they were teak tough and, and would they'd be their driving platform. But as, uh, apart from the Vinnie um, Corrigo, Corrigo, Corrigo yeah. apart from that, I, I was uh, unimpressed with all of them. Darren Hughes was very good, but um, I, like Chris McInnes, to be honest, he was the only player on the field that impressed me. Can that be just down to the size of the pitch, the different dimensions of Croke Park? because they looked last year and then right up until the Ulster final this year they looked pretty good yeah like I mean Crow Park is extremely large and I suppose it doesn't help with the, when the stands are around it because it gives you a different perspective in your mind so the, the goal posts seem further away than they are closer than they are and the sideline the, the midfield is where it gets you if you're passing the ball it's, there's a lot of space that's where it gains in its length um, but I suppose it does make it easier to set up defensively on a tight pitch but if you have the players and the personnel who are used to that, uh, and Monaghan have apart from the league, haven't played in Crow Park and haven't won in Crow Park. That yeah, if you go a whole season like playing on smaller pitches, and when you have a one-on-one battle, you're getting help in maybe within a second or two, and then you go to Crow Park and you're going to your one-on-one battles against obviously better opposition the further you want a championship, and the help is coming in four or five seconds. That's a massive difference. That's the difference between a man gone by you, ready to take a shot and just going by and having a bit of support there straight away and stopping that first two or three yards of getting away from the man. We always, anytime we talk about this uh, whole size of the Crockpark pitch, there's always one message that comes in going, actually, Clonus technically is a bigger pitch yeah. if you measure it in a certain <laughs> way and across, you know, but I'm pretty sure Crockpark is... Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I think you can, um, like Andrew's point is well made in that, you know, you can have your training pitch the exact dimensions of Crockpark, mm-hmm. but it's actually the, it's the, 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 the scale of the pitch yeah actually does leave you feeling a lot more isolated maybe than than you actually are. Uh, and, you know, like you, the Monaghan, in fairness, have at least broken the Crow Park, the, that hex that they hadn't won for 84 years in, in Crow Park. They're going to go for hoodoo there. You're yeah, yeah. I mean, well, well, whatever they want to call it, I'm sure they have a word for it themselves up there, the priest in question that put the curse on them or whatever. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the fact that they've laid that means that maybe they can go into Crow Park with a little bit more confidence this weekend. But, yeah, I mean, a month ago, I would have given them a, a big shot at giving Dublin a scare. I haven't seen anything in the last month to, to lead me to suggest that, that they actually will. Armagh may be going the other way. Are we giving them a chance against Donegal? I, I was extremely impressed with Armagh on the weekend. Um, like, all their six starting forwards scored. They brought in three forwards uh, as subs, and they scored. I mean, like if you compare that to Donegal, where they tend to rely on two forwards for scoring in most games, I know uh, they do pop up their backs, pop up and chip in to me, but not a huge amount. Um, and they've got a left and a right footed free taker, uh, both of them are consistent. And uh, I was very impressed with uh, Aaron Finden in the midfield. He's a big man, but the amount of work he got through in dispossessions, I counted in five, just like I wasn't taking notes, but on top of my head, five that he dispossessed and when uh, when they were being attacked. And that's huge for a midfielder to chip in that amount. Um, and I just think they're really, really strong uh, up along the middle. Uh, Dunning at number six was very impressive. Like The amount of ground he covered and he, he got forward, I was really impressed with him. Yeah, and it goes to show like what a run of games uh, and playing consistently, playing with the same team. They've only made one or two changes that they've gone along. The confidence that that has put through the team, like it was very clear to see, like they're just very confident in what they're doing the last night defensively, more um, defensively especially. Uh, they found them very hard to break them down. Uh, me did, and uh, they kind of, they really snuffed out me in that way. Like, but the thing is now they've been playing teams that are perceived at their level that they were maybe slightly fancied or slight underdogs uh, going in against. This is the big challenge to now. Like they're going in against a team, the top level team, uh, which like they haven't really met so far. And I think it is a big challenge for them. But no, they're well set up. 
Uh, they're not going to be overawed by Donegal. Obviously, they have the, the rivalry with Donegal playing them. I noticed regularly. Uh, and they've won a, won a game with Croker, so their defensive system, they're confident that it's going to work in Croker as well. So I give them a great chance, yeah, of running yeah. Donegal very They close. use the ball really, really well as well. Like, their kick passing is very good. Yeah. Um, they, they have uh, Every time a player gets on the ball and looks upfield, he appears to have two or three options all the time. And uh, the big thing is for them as well is they've got a lot of comfort now in their forward line that they can get Jamie Clark involved an awful lot more the last couple of years he was getting double teamed and getting snuffed out of games and that was Darmat forward and gone that was but the most impressive thing for me yeah. again he actually didn't play well he, 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 I'd say it was very frustrating for the management because he has a, a huge amount of ability but it just sometimes looked like that like I'm having a kick around here do you know what I mean like chips the ball up and like he, he contributed one or two uh, to, to one or two scores and obviously he picked up uh, I think two himself um, but for them to win so convincingly and him not playing well yeah I remember going to games over the last couple of years I remember seeing him in Galway, in Galway last year yeah. and like J- Jamie Clark just could not get on the ball uh, and that was Armagh gone up front after that so this year like I know he didn't have a, his, uh, compared to his standards the best game on, on, on Saturday there but he's just getting on the ball at least they're getting him involved in the game and he is a very good playmaker as well as obviously a scorer Unfortunately Armagh are unlikely to contribute to the pre-match hype that you're both looking for <laughs> but we'll leave it there Carol Andrew great stuff thank you Thanks very much Shane Curran with the kick out The 42 year old goalkeeper Curran it out from goal Here he comes He topped it He fought it He's 50 yards out from goal What a game for us coming All the mother niggas lame And you know it now When the real nigga hold you down You're supposed to drown Bam 1944 is the last time A senior tiger come out of here And the one, 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 the last one Bam Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question: Does anybody deserve to lose at the Lara Club final? Give me a tech 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 if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine coming eight down. Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub goalie, two castle barmen, and a bridges man. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of goal. Just to go back to Andrew McLaughlin's views and oh, Col- Colin Cooper, we Ooh. would like to distance ourselves from those comments. The the views expressed were um, by our contributor were were his alone and not those of the Irish Times Second Captains Podcast. <sighs> I'd like that, um, that, that just that last half hour just <laughs> stricken, stricken from the record. I'm sure it's all been edited out. Um, all the Colin Cooper references. I you know I, can I just say how full of admiration I am for Colin Cooper and just if we could just leave it there, draw this whole sorry. Horrible, horrible incident. And if Andrew McLaughlin happens to just go away and not be heard from uh, for the next <laughs> week or so. Uh, just the point about, oh, Kieran McGee's getting a lot of airplay considering he's supposed to be behind the scenes these days. We ended up talking about him last week with John Kavanagh, Conor yeah. McGregor's coach and his Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Kieran McGee, if you didn't hear that interview, is a very intense man in the gym, even more intense than you might have realised. Mm. And he was, uh, d- just a couple of days after that interview with John Kavanagh, uh, he tweeted a photograph of Kieran McGee uh, grappling with uh, Carl Pendred, oh, yeah. uh, MMA fighter. And, uh, you know, it's only one photograph, but it did seem to be some sort of horrendous death struggle that had been going on for about seven hours. Well, there's a, a very short clip of McGinney in the McGregor documentary where they're grappling and, McGee- and McGregor's... I wasn't sure if it was him, but I checked with John when he was in and mm. it was McGinney. It was that short, but I don't, I don't know how happy McGinney necessarily was to see the one bit shown... Um, was him getting tossed to the ground essentially mm. I'm sure they were having a pretty good battle up until that point 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's not like Kieran McGinney's going to be replaying that half-second of footage over and over again in his mind's eye. Again, Irish Times, Set Captain's Football Podcast, coming up later. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. have you not? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. Down, we'll what you doing down here, you showing man? <laughs> uh, do you know Gary Weaver? Sky Sports commentator. Oh. Come across this guy. I don't think it's so. Gary Weaver, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, go on. Anyway. He Let's... was the man who was on duty last night for, okay, not the most high-profile game Sky Sports are going to cover all season. The, the presenter? Are you talking about the presenter of this? The commentator, oh, I the think. the commentator, okay. I, maybe I'm getting mixed up with the presenter. The commentator, anyway, for Liverpool against Manchester United in the, I think, International Champions Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> geez. I mean... We started off, uh, he's talking about Liverpool against Manchester United. It's the game America wanted to see. He panned a half-empty stadium. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and no audio. You can barely hear the audio. So it's clear that, that Sky's commentary team, for once, are not actually in the stadium because you can hear the commentator's voice and barely any sound from the stadium. So unless he's actually got a, some kind of cellophane bubble around himself, he's, he's not actually sitting in, in Miami with everyone else. This is half-empty. Uh, stadium, he starts talking about even if if these two, it, it may be uh, friendly, but they don't do friendlies. Uh, the last friendly they were in were thirty uh, was thirty years ago. Even if these two were to meet each other in the car park, there'd still be spice. <laughs> and kept it up this constant stream of of. Uh, Biz- the most bizarre hype I've ever heard about, you know, this is re- anyway, we're going to talk a bit about that yeah. game. Actually, what happened in the game, Owen, oh, rather than the, okay. the, um, the spicy, simmering rivalry between uh, Liverpool and Manchester United. I did see Trevor Francis was one of the uh, pundits pre-match. Uh, it was himself and Alan Kerbishley. Mm. And they were asked about how important this game was. Similar stuff. And I want to say Trevor Francis, oh, vi- vi- very important. It doesn't matter, obviously. I mean, it's a pre-match, but just in terms of confidence, very important. <laughs> yeah, didn't fully read the memo that was sent to him before that broadcast. Uh, Alan Kirby was there. He's he's got such a, a gentle voice and way of expressing himself, um, and he uses a couple of phrases repeatedly. Perhaps is one, ever so much. <laughs> ever so much. Ever what, so much. Yeah, it wasn't the most dynamic. Even Sky didn't put in the most dynamic. If, if live football there. wasn't being shown on television, the phrase "ever so much." Would have disappeared, I would say, forty years ago from the, the English language. See, we might we might say a lot, but Alan Kerbishley will say ever so much. Um, we'll talk a bit about that. We'll, we're going to have Andrew Mangan in the studio as well, uh, talking a little about Arsenal's uh, preseason and uh, preparations for the new season. Great, the USPGA Championship is taking place against, I guess, the controversial backdrop of one of the world's top golfers, Dustin Johnson, taking a break from the sport. Reportedly, at the behest of the USPGA, that's one of a bunch of interesting storylines ahead of the tournament. Dave Hannigan is in New York. Dave, you've written about the trouble that golf is in in America as it is, the waning popularity, golf clubs closing, all these kind of things going on. Is Rory McIlroy the man to save the sport over there? I certainly think everybody involved in golf hopes that he is. Uh, both in terms of the golf industry and in, and in terms of the TV coverage, uh, they're they're building him up as the replacement Tiger or Tiger 2.0 or whatever you want to call it. I think he he's definitely going to help golf in terms of you know the waning popularity, uh, the fact that so many people have fallen away from it, both as players and as viewers on, um, at the weekends during tournaments. And I think Rory's Irishness, his Irishness and his 
the fact he has a bit of a personality and it helps as well that he looks like a potentially one of the great players, you know, perhaps the greatest of his generation, that will all help in terms of like they're not trying to sell something that isn't there. They're not trying to hype him up when he doesn't have the talent or the personality when he actually appears to have both. You've made the point, Dave, that uh, American TV really has created this issue for themselves. Rory has got a personality and they're going to, they've no choice but to try and develop that because he's the best player around at the moment. And they've maybe failed to develop other guys over the last number of years, given that so much has been focused on Tiger. Even up to the British Open, there was an ESPN online channel dedicated solely to Tiger Woods. Exactly. The Woods, I mean, the, the Woods thing, it made golf, it brought golf up to a different level in terms of popularity and awareness but it also killed golf or certainly damaged it at the same time because, you know, you would tune into a tournament on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday and Woods would be like 10 or 12 shots behind and you, know, you wouldn't know this for the first 15 or 20 minutes because they'd be showing Woods and you'd be like, who's actually winning this tournament? Who, who is contending here? And that kind of thing, it, it did down the other players. It kind of denigrated the other players and you'd say, oh, Who's Jordan Spieth? You know, is Keegan Bradley any good? Uh, well, it's hard to figure out because we're still being taught. Even on Sunday, we, we, you know, McElroy was winning, and you know, I think he was fairly comfortable over the last couple of holes. But they cut away to revisit the Tiger Woods story, and CBS, who are also covering the PGA this week, were covering uh, Firestone and uh, PGA or the CBS. Sorry, cover. They talked about Tiger and what happened to him. And if you just tuned in, you'd say did Tiger die or was there something happened to Tiger? And, you know, is this life-threatening? Because they have this kind of funereal attitude when they speak of his absence and, and his potential absence, obviously, this week is, is death for the television ratings mm. uh, in America. Yeah, and the, the TV thing is actually very interesting just because we've just had the British Open over here and to watch golf on the BBC compared to golf... Uh, on Sky Sports, which is effectively on American television because they get the American feed directly uh, over, it's completely different because American TV focuses on two groups and that's basically all you see playing golf for the entire, for the entire coverage. Whereas on the BBC, it's a, it's a much more judicious spread across the entire field. So basically what you're talking about there is you see Tiger's group and you don't see anyone else. And then when Tiger isn't there, they, they're, you know, they, all of a sudden they try and hitch their wagon to another star, like they're going to do now probably with Rory. But it's very much star-based as opposed to actually trying to show the tournament. Exactly. And, you know, I, I give, well, there's, there's something going to happen this week. If, if Tiger plays, and it's Tiger, Mickelson and Harrington in that threesome, uh, there'll be no way we'll see any of Harrington in America unless he, you know, chips in from the fairway or unless he does, you know, hits the ball somewhere that he, that he shouldn't hit it. You know, they might cut to him then, but ordinarily we'll see very, very little of Harrington. And even, you know, in fairness to the American golf media, they're pointing this out. Uh, Patrick Reed is a very promising American player. He'll probably be on the Ryder Cup team. And, you know, he has a lot of top five finishes and he had a lot of wins uh, last season. And, Patrick Reed was playing on Sunday. I think he finished in the top five. He wasn't featured once on camera. Not once. Mm. You know? So, again, the BBC attitude there would be, we would have seen him because we would, you, know, you would have learned this, who this guy is and you know, what, what his reputation is, what his standing is in the game. But you know, we, we just saw McElroy and Garcia, basically. You know, they, they would even linger on shots of McElroy and Garcia talking as they went down fairways or on tee boxes rather than show lesser players of lesser wattage if you want to call them that the uh, McElroy 
angle to things here, Dave, is interesting. You said they're maybe the best player of his generation. And I've noticed that even players of older generations are started to talk about him in a different way. Tony Jacklin said he's never seen anybody drive the ball better than McElroy is at the moment. Paul McGinley uh, said the final day at Firestone over the weekend when he won the World Golf Championship event was the greatest display of driving he's ever seen. I'm quite struck by the fact that when McGinley obviously is going to be very much in his corner anyway, but that these guys aren't afraid now to talk about McElroy in this way. And he certainly doesn't seem to be afraid to take that on board either. No, I mean, he, he appears built for that. He appears, you know, that he's been ready for this his whole life and he's been prepared for it and he, and he appears to handle it. I think there was, you know, certainly in terms of the American coverage and the way they talk about him here, I think after the British Open, it definitely went up a notch and there was much more Nicholas Woods and McElroy and he's talked in the same breath as those guys and, you know, nobody thinks that's outlandish, nobody thinks that's unfair and, you know, the way McElroy's conducted himself since the British Open uh, and the manner in which he won last week or on Sunday suggests that, you know, this this is something that he has, you know, this is what he wants, this is what he's craved all his career, this is what he's been built for. The other big story that broke late last week, but is, I think, still pretty relevant to talk about now, given the bigger questions it maybe raises about how golfers run, is Dustin Johnson and his, well, self-imposed exile from the sport. But the suggestion from Golf.com, the Sports Illustrated Golf website, over the weekend was that he was actually serving a suspension. Now, the PGA Tour say he's not suspended, he's walked away voluntarily, but uh, the the reports are that there could be at least one and maybe three failed drugs tests for recreational drugs over the last 18 months or so. What do you make of this story? I think it highlights what an absolute disgrace the US Tour's drug policy is. And this is apparently, as, as you point out, recreational drug use, but their entire drug policy is a scandal and one that hopefully, now that it's been brought out into the open and, and generated a lot of headlines over the last few days, one that will have to change. I mean, if anybody's been paying attention, Vijay Singh has this ongoing you know, lawsuit against the tour because he was found to be using this dare antler spray that contained some banned substance that was on the, on the tour's list of banned substances. In the course of that lawsuit, Vijay Singh's lawyers brought up the name of Dustin Johnson and a few other golfers, uh, including Mark Kalkovecchia. But Dustin Johnson was the one that nobody had heard about before in terms of drug use. And that just popped up in the media air six, seven months ago. So the Dustin Johnson thing was flagged, was flagged back then. But we'd never know because the PGA Tour has this policy of they will not discuss why somebody, they will not discuss if somebody is suspended, why they were suspended, what they did, for how long. And we now believe that one of Johnson's back injuries, quote-unquote, was actually a suspension from the, from the tour. And this is all to do, again, with, you know, we must keep in with our corporate partners. It is better for the image of the tour if we do not discuss this. But I just want to say something about there. Just to, everybody in Ireland, I think, has a very sophisticated appreciation, unfortunately, of drugs and sport. But this, this is what you need to understand about the PGA Tour and drugs. Their idea of out-of-competition testing, which anybody... Will, will testify is how you, you know, potentially catch drug cheats or gives you the best chance. Their idea of out-of-competition testing is they turn up at a tournament on a Monday or a Tuesday in the middle of the season and they take urine tests. 
Now, everybody else, in every other sport, out of competition testing is when the season ends and the players disappear, they must tell you where they are and you, you go and find them and test them. No, their idea is they'll t- turn up on a Monday or a Tuesday and that's out of competition testing. The players do not have to tell the tour where they are during the off-season. They do not have to be available for testing during the off-season. It's an absolute scandal and one that deserves to all of the criticism it's hopefully going to get over the coming weeks. There is, uh, I think, maybe a legitimate argument that um, re- recreational drug use should be seen as something quite a bit different from, you know, taking a load of EPO or whatever it might be to deliberately cheat at any particular game. But I, I guess in golf in particular, it's interesting how damaging the uh, even recreational drug use could be to the image of the game that they'd like to project. Exactly. I mean, golf is the only only sport that I know of that you know, towards the end of the final round of a tournament, when everything is building and everything is to play for, on American TV, they cut away from the action and they bring in the CEO of the sponsor of that week's tournament to talk for a minute. It's astonishing. It's, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it highlights the corporate synergy or the relationship between corporate America and the sport itself. But, I mean, your point is very well made about recreational drugs. But here's a sport since 2007 when Gary Player first raised the issue that players might be using performance-enhancing substances. They introduced testing, this joke form of testing, in 2008. But look at the way golf has changed in the last 15 years. Look at the shape of the players. Since Tiger came along, everybody is a gym rat. And we know in any sport, if people go into the gym, you know, things happen when they go to the gym, unfortunately. That seems to be a fact of sporting life. So I think there's a lot for golf to, to be concerned about. And, you know, the American media certainly has done some uh, highlighting of this in the past few days and hopefully will do more because it's damaging to the sport that we don't know for sure and we don't have any idea whether anybody is using or not. And for them to sweep things under the carpet is not good long term. It doesn't sound like they're of a mind to change that policy for the time being, though, Dave, does it? And maybe they have in mind that... Well, you know, this is potentially for the good of the sport in the long term. We need to get things out in the open, but we're more worried about the short term. And less people are playing golf in America. Lots of clubs are closing down. Tigers on the way out, as we've been discussing here. So, uh, do you think their self-interest might, unfortunately, override what would probably be for the benefit of the sport long term? I think there's every there's every chance of that, unfortunately. And like, like, let me just give you an example of something that that received very little coverage. Tiger Woods added a company called Muscle Farm, P H A R M to his um, list of sponsors, okay, and they're on his bag. Muscle Farm, amongst their other endorsers, are Arnold Schwarzenegger, one of the most famous, celebrated <clears throat> steroid users in the, world, in the history of sport, okay? Does that not seem like a relationship that the, that the PGA Tour should be saying, you know, maybe Tiger, we like Rolex, we like, um, you know, Nike, but perhaps Muscle Farm, you know, supplements, uh, you know, protein powders, Maybe we shouldn't. Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's not something we want to go down. Yeah, uh, it doesn't sound like it's going to be resolved anytime soon. But listen, Dave, uh, thanks so much for talking to us. Have you got, is Rory going to do it this weekend? Well, everybody says he is, but it's unfortunately very, very hard for somebody to go three, three tournaments in a row, especially when two of them are majors. But then this course is set up for him. There's going to be rain there uh, potentially tomorrow and Thursday, which will soften the course, which will make it play longer, which will play into his hands. And everybody believes that the course is at 7,500 yards almost is absolutely set up for Rory's game. So hopefully 
uh, hopefully he can do it and, and you know continue this extraordinary run Alright Dave Hanning listen great stuff Cheers guys thanks a lot Enjoy the tournament thanks very much for talking to us there you can read Dave's column America at Large in the Irish Times excellent column every Thursday uh, there is this danger of sports keeping everything in house it was highlighted for me in the well it's been highlighted many times over the years but Andre Agassi's book when he just casually made the observation that he took crystal meth was caught by the ATP tour they rang him up he got in touch with his lawyer sent some phony letter just saying that he I, I think he drunk a coke can or something like this and that a friend of his had used or something along these lines and the ATP tour said thank you very much for your correspondence <laughs> <laughs> nothing to see here uh, which is pretty grim really and it these are the sports, tennis, golf, that don't seem to have uh, have embraced quite the the drug testing procedures maybe that some of the other, um, well, they definitely happen that some of the other sports have. So it would be nice if they maybe got things sorted. Donkeys, horses and deer antlers have now all been mentioned on today's show. I'm sure that's mm. a pretty broad sweep of... Well, I mean, it's not really that broad. It's actually quite a narrow uh, sample. Oh, I mean, huge quadrupeds. Yeah, but within, oh, hooved quadrupeds. The, within the hooved quadruped. I mean, Family. Yeah, yeah. Z- uh, zebra. Of course, I haven't mentioned a zebra. Yeah. Eland. Uh, <laughs> sorry, excuse me? Eland. Eland. Yeah. I don't, sorry, I'm not familiar with that. It's a kind of antelope. It's a, okay. We're glad to have him back, though. It's That's great to have you back, Ken. More of this coming up in Irish Times Second Captains Football a little bit later on. In the meantime, tweet us at Second Captains. You can email secondcaptains at irishtimes.com and you can check out facebook.com forward slash well, you've guessed it for such second captains. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thanks Ken. Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thanks so much for listening. We'll chat to you later. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.